Is it running? We're live? Good evening and welcome to another... You're sweating. I, well, I've been running around like a chicken. Like, well, let me tell you something. Just for the record, Hang on a second. Off the... Yeah, I didn't know you had that effect on it. <laughs> Get around some important people and you start sweating. Last week I was sweating. Mm-hmm. Boy, was I not well last week. Oh, my God. Show must go on and continue. Who's here? The Joint Chiefs. Joint Chiefs. Welcome to another Off the Lip Radio Show broadcasting from the Santa Cruz boardroom. Where? Where? Santa uh, Cruz, California. Thank you. I was like, huh? <laughs> <laughs> this is show number 358. No longer a KSCO hmm. due to circumstances beyond my control. Are we going to have a big 400? We're going to have a large 400, a we large, or even large. We're going to have a big yeah. party. A f- bunch f- of bands. Uh, our 500th, uh, 500th show is going to be at John's house. All it right. No, isn't going that long. <laughs> <laughs> we'll find out. You know what? When we started at KSCO, they what did, what did she give us? Three months? Uh, Rosie? Yeah, Rosie. Yeah, she said we were so bad. We yeah, she it said we'd be out of there in no time. Yeah, yeah. And we stayed there for like five, six years. Yeah, I and know. we're still doing it. We did it from yeah. now. We're doing it from here. So anyway, our guest tonight is the esteemed, the honorable. I called him that. Uh, you called him esteemed. Honorable. The honorable. Um, is it Mr. John Laird still? Is there is there any other? Is there is professor? There something, is something goes before. Or? No, I'm a former. Lots of things. You're, you're f- okay. <laughs> the, the former uh, whatever he was. A lot, was of a lot stuff. of A lot of different stuff. Uh, Mr. John Laird, welcome to the show. Thank you. I know. This, thank you very much. We're not a little hokey with the you know we get to, we get it together here, but we do get it together. You ever done a skate a, surf, a, a skate shop show yet? No, as a matter of fact, I have. No, me. This is the <coughs> first in a Long series of things I have done, so that's good. Yeah, we def- you know what the first show we did here? We had opera here. We had opera in a skate shop. Very Remember true. that? Yeah. That was very fun. I had, I had a friend of mine's opera singer with the New York Met, and she actually sang in here. So uh, her. So she made know. the kids cry that night. She made the kids cry. Yeah. That's right. When she sang, it was amazing. Hallelujah, the kids were crying. Yeah. Welcome, so John, to the show, so by the way. John, what are you doing? Okay. What are you doing? What are you up to? Oh, I'm running for the Senate right that's now. That's it? We're just a few days out from the election. <laughs> No when biggie. It's almost a million people. <laughs> the district is three hours and 15 minutes from one end to the other if you're no traffic and you're going slightly above the speed limit. That's a lot of people. It is a lot. And so it's challenging because it's 21 cities and parts or all of four counties. And you really have to work hard to reach them. And you really have to work hard to understand what's important to them and what's going on in each different part of the area. We recently had a guest who's. Um, running for the city council again, left politics, and we said, why are you going back in? Uh, That's the most common question I get. Um, And I've had a long, I mean, I was a mayor and a city council member for nine years in the 80s. I was on the school board of trustees for eight years, finished state assembly for six years, and and, uh, until early last year, I served eight years in the cabinet of Jerry Brown. Mm-hmm. Not feel like I'm really contributing, so it, it's it's good timing for me. I feel like she gave you the good genes. I hope so. <laughs> I hope the Norwegian ones came my way. That's her. What are the challenges? Um, I mean, I I get I know a few of your challenges, but let's m- maybe the people watching and listening we could d- 
discuss the challenges that would be yours in the Senate if and when you do win this? Um, I've sort of named four, and the biggest one is really climate uh, because the fact that the temperature has gone up almost 2% across California has created these fire storms that just didn't exist in the past. Right, <coughs> right. So when I had CAL FIRE for eight years, and CAL FIRE since got wonderful numbers, um, we used to say that we would have one big 90,000-acre fire a year. That was our big one for the year. And the last year we were there, we had had five of them before we were out of gear. Wow. And yeah. And the Paradise Fire moved 60 acres a minute. It was, it, nobody could outrun it. And just the nature, the fire behavior is not the same. And in this district, northern San Luis Obispo has had significant fires. We've served the three in the last 10 years that have been really significant. Sense is not, it's just had a few and they're ready to go. And so there's big issues We see that. I mean, mm -hmm. I, we see that. The, you know, the, the beaches that we used to have up and down here at Pleasure Point, or they're just not there anymore. The sand, they're just not there. And when the uh, when the tsunami hit from Japan eight right. years ago, it hit two harbors in California that were uh, Crescent City and Santa Cruz. Oh yeah. And it was before the major sea level rise and at low tide. Right. So that gives you a hint of because uh, it's the extreme events. It's not uh, just the bathtub filling up. What's a solution for climate change? I mean, we all know it's there. It's, you know it's there, but what can you do to combat it? Well, California has taken the lead among all 50 states uh, and even compared to some of the countries that are biggest. And when I was in the legislature in the mid-decade, 15 years ago, George W. Bush had walked away from the international treaty that I think only the United States, Iran, and North Korea had yeah. walked away from that basically said we were going to go in by 2020, the year we're in right now, we're going to return to the emissions of 1990. It's like a 12 to 15% reduction. That's what the world adopted. The United States walked away and they said, well, then we'll do it for California. So it's AB 32 of 2060 for exactly those. And he hasn't met it. We have done that. We actually said in uh, 2011 when Governor Brown was first there that by 2020 we'd move to 33% of our electricity would be from renewable energy. Right. We have done that. Mm -hmm. And we have the most efficient buildings of the 50 states uh, uh, because of things Jerry Brown did the first time he accepted them. Now he set the goal uh, of doubling that. So now all these goals have been moved to 2030 and increased. And as hard as it is to believe, the easier things were done. So uh, cars and transportation have really replaced. We, we have to get in the next 10 years, five to five million electric vehicles. Um, it's, it's having people afford it. It's having infrastructure to support it. But if we don't do that, then it's going to be. And how frustrating it must be for you, who's been you've been so involved in this, to see the current administration constantly going the opposite direction. It's true, and there's a great film because I've spoken uh, either before or after it uh, uh, called From Paris to Pittsburgh because when the president pulled out of the Paris Accords, he says, I have to be worried about Pittsburgh, not Paris. And the poor mayor of Pittsburgh was just sitting in his office when all hell broke loose and everybody in the world called him. Within a few hours, he said, wait a second. 
we support it, and so there are cities across the country that have done it, and that movie does a good job of saying, with no change, half of Florida will be gone, and they'll be talking about economic refugees, environmental refugees, and so, uh, you know, one other thing, since I know everybody in uh, the skate shop and surf shop is into uh, water, when they walked away um, nationally from our oceans recently, the ocean is acidifying at a rapid rate that is nearing six times. And it, it's such that the Puget Sound is one of the first places, the Gulf of Aden, Puget Sound, are really affected. Um, we were really affected here. Southern California, when El Nino combined with the fortification. It's been really affecting the kelp beds, exactly. I think. Yeah. And so we decided together with the governors, uh, I convinced scientists to be able to uh, do scientific studies. And Washington and Oregon heard we were doing it, and they joined with us. And that scientific study that's been out, I think, two years or three years, basically didn't just say, here's the science and here's the data. It said, um, here are the early action steps you should take. And so we, with the three governors leading, formed an international alliance to fight ocean acidification and find out countries across the world. If we had no national leadership, right. we were going to get people from other countries to make commitments and do it. And so um, we signed up France, Chile, Netherlands, Iceland, United Arab Emirates, the Pacific Island Republic I'd never heard of before. Wow. And everybody said, we will do that. You better be at the top of your game. Take this this song. Yeah. So you are at the top of your game, do you turn? Yeah, but you have to be. We don't have much time left. And so, uh, and there have been good people at the state. In the legislature, Jerry Brown is governor, is really on it. Mm. We just have to really keep it going and up the, the game. In regards to that uh, acidity, and the, um, I w- recently I heard the administration is going to pass the uh, or, or decrease water, uh, some water stuff. That um, they're saying some of the farmers are going to start using stuff that will increase to the acidity. Maybe I'm out of step with this, not knowing all of it, but um, that we're such a farm community, and uh, and if that's going to contribute to the death of our kelp beds. Well, it's interesting because I worked with the scientists when I was secretary for resources to try to figure out how to explain simply ocean acidification, and and basically, it's the ocean absorbing carbon from the atmosphere. And it's nearshore impacts on farming mm. in a minor way. And then it was amended to say it's also the sewage outfall. It's municipal sewage that fishing communities like the one I live in in Santa Cruz yep. are putting there. And, and so we have to figure out over time whether it's farming or municipal mm-hmm. uh, sewage, how not uh, to have that go in the ocean. That needs to be part of the solution. I hope, I hope that it. And I and hope that you can <coughs> help make this work. Well, the f- uh, everybody that's listening or watching can help make it work by voting in November. Okay, right. Unless we pull back some of that stuff. So we're gonna they're gonna vote for you. That your district. Explain to the Facebook Live. We're watching right now on Facebook Live with Santa Cruz Waves. Uh, you you were listening to Mr. John Laird, who's vying for state senate at the upcoming election. Um, and can you explain to the audience there? It's people watching all over the world. Your district is? Well, the 17th Senate District is almost a million people, and it runs from the uh, 
seven priest neighborhoods in San Jose, uh, through southern Santa Clara County, Morgan Hill, Gilroy, all of San Jesus County, coastal Monterey, about a 30-mile swath of the entire southern Monterey County, so the places of San Ardo and San Lucas and hmm. Parkfield, the earthquake capital. Gonzales? District. No, okay. that's not. And then all of San Luis Obispo County to the Santa Barbara County line. And Salinas and the Salinas Valley is not in the district historically because of the voting rights act and mm. you know, not weakening like you know what happened uh, with that. how did you get involved in politics in the first place what the heck were you thinking oh uh, it, yeah. it's been a lifelong <laughs> event uh, who started but you who, who who kicked you into the whole who kicked you kicked you off oh i was not very happy about the vietnam war when it was going <laughs> <Yeah>. on <and, laughs> uh, we've had a few uh, people on this show that weren't yeah and, uh, and you know, my father was a teacher and a school principal, and he was very involved in his community. And in Santa Cruz? No, I grew up in the Bay Area. Okay. I grew up in Vallejo. And, and were you in high school, were you on? A p p in a were you the student body president or anything back then? I was president of my class all three years. Because that's not on, that's oh, not on your bio, by the way. Yeah. Who will? Never been a reason to, except for there's a few people that went to Hogan High School in Vallejo that live in Santa Cruz, but no. Awesome. Well, it's not I, I, no, on it's your not bio. It's it's not on your no, bio. It's no, it starts it's like after like college life is where the, yeah. your bio begins. My parents were teachers. I graduated with honors and off to the races. And uh, class of seventy two at UCSC. Yes, I was in the fourth full four year class. At was it was it raging back then? Were you was it like because nowadays it's just a zoo up there. Was it was it a party <laughs> school? Did well because it was still. I think three springs out of four we were on strike. Well, you were there for the summer of love. Just after. Okay. Just after. Okay, so was it still... No, was it, was, it, it was an interesting time because I think the campus had been attracted to on the basis that it was going to be a boom for business, and then here came the Vietnam War and all these nonsense, and uh, the town didn't jump up and down for joy, and it took a number... I was the first former undergraduate at UCSC to be elected to the city council. Wow. And I vowed that I was going to try to bridge the gap because it was so tough. And then each time I was elected mayor, the voters passed at the election right before an anti-UCSC choice measure. <laughs> uh, they wanted to build our research and development park in our green belt. They wanted to do things. And so even though I, I wanted to bridge it, the first thing I had to do was sort of challenge them on their growth. And it was not a traditional growth, no growth. It was that uh, all the impacts you endured by the city with no money, of plopping down uh, a, a town of 20 or 25,000 students or staff members inside a town of 55,000 with nothing that came with it. So right. It just meant the impact fell on the local would, community. Would the housing. You, would you want to be mayor of Santa Cruz today? And, and the new mayor that just, that Scott. Uh, uh, Justin Cummings. Just, well, that's Scott. Mm -hmm. Justin, I met the guy. Yeah. He's, he's, he's from Minneapolis. Huh? <laughs> he's got a few stops in there. <laughs> Right. It does does he have a chance at changing anything, or I is he, he like jumping into bucket of cement? Well, and like I think he has a chance, but right now, uh, the city is polarized in a way that yeah. I've seen in many years. Do you feel the city's broken, and in, in 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 regards uh, to a little bit broken in a way that it can't be fixed? Okay. Hmm. Yeah. You know, there's something I wanted to bring up with you that uh, I think is amazing, and it's not really politics, but um, I believe you were the first openly gay mayor in america there were three of us in the same year same year and what a inspiration for so many people you know like that's not 
a, that's just a life lesson that you created for so many people. I think that's amazing. Well, well it's hard. That, that is um, now 36 years ago, and it's hard to talk about what the world was like when that was happening. I couldn't even imagine. It was very different, and there were only, I think, 15 there, uh, openly gay elected officials in the entire country. There are right now there are more openly LGBT uh, officials in the Monterey Bay area than there were in the entire country when <laughs> that happened. And uh, it, it, and the thing about it is, is it was a struggle. It, there, there were there was no assuredness that that was going to work. Mm-hmm. And I sort of I, I will say I thought I was right, and I thought I was doing what needed for people to see it. But I had no idea if I was on the right track. Uh, people probably said you were crazy for doing that as political suicide no, or something but it, also, it had these things that surprised me right away which was that uh, people gave me a lot of credibility that if you're Philip Beck you just tell the truth right it, 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 which was not what I would have uh, uh, thought and then I got an award uh, at the Obama White House it would have been 2015 and I thought okay this is worked out mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah you know and it and it was interesting for my own family because I tell that story. I happen to have a brother who's gay, and uh, it never occurred to us that our parents hadn't told all their friends that two of their mm. three sons were gay. Hmm. And then I was beaming in today, uh, hometown of maybe two weekers. Wow. <laughs> and, uh, That's awesome. Well, my mom was a teacher, and she got this letter from a fellow teacher that said, well, I used to snicker at anybody that was gay and hardly know if I'm changing to right. gay, but I know you, and I know the son that's at home, and I know your husband, and that's a gay loving thing, and he obviously came from this, and I probably made a mistake, and I'll never snicker again, and it was, it was a great letter, and it was great for my parents, because I think uh, mm. they thought, well, off the buck up here, this is a, a, a big deal, and, and I think by the time my, uh, my mother uh, was very proud to this day, I hope she is. Yeah, yeah. It was a, uh, I'm sure it was a, tough. An acquired experience, right? You know, and yet, uh, uh, you know, I, I I take it to like how uh, Spielberg's daughter announced she's going to do porn. You know, like, <laughs> and you're like, oh my gosh, like <laughs> Spielberg's was probably just freaking out. But well, I'm running but, for office in a week. But I'm just saying, like, bring that up. <laughs> kind of a shocking parent thing, you know. In, in the same sentence, my I have a daughter who's gay and she's married, and um, I brag about her, and uh, and I'm so proud of her, and um, it it takes leadership in the past to create that atmosphere today Mm -hmm. and you've been an advocate i know um forever in your political life it's you know and i think it's i'm very pleased i have lived long enough to see uh the good thing sometimes and to Mm -hmm. see it go well and and you know i had a uh when i was termed off the city council i ran our aid service agency for a few years and it was before the drug cocktail and we were losing a lot of people and a lot of them were my friends, and a lot of them were people that we had been supportive in many of the campaigns. And I just thought, God, if they just could be here right now, mm-hmm. they'd just be amazed at, yeah. at what they're mm-hmm. seeing. Wow. We're going to talk about the key issues of you becoming senator. How many key issues are there Well, I, I would today? say four plus diversity, which uh, mm-hmm. uh, and we Good covered one. Uh, uh, climate in that. And, yep. and, and it's really um, housing, because we have this affordable housing crisis. 
Are you talking about how far we're just 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 in our district or Santa Cruz uh, or uh, everywhere in our district, but in the state? Right. Because it's affordable housing, it's education, whether it's stable K through 14 education, and I'm a former Cabrillo trustee, and so it's strong in Cabrillo, and hope everybody votes yes for right. for Major R. But also the affordability of higher education. We've got to make sure right now that's a great uh, divider, and that people aren't uh, are pushed out of that, and then. Uh, uh, lastly, it's health care, hmm. uh, because we added under Obamacare 5.4 million people mm -hmm. in California to health care, and the national government is trying to push some of those out, and we have to defend to keep coverage for all of those and then continue to move to some form of universal coverage. In a nutshell, uh, the words we, we always hear in on all the shows we've done with Netter or the all the mayors in Santa Cruz, Council members, um, supervisors, of everyone's been here who sat in front of TC and I. <laughs> Our great never, questions. never usually come back, <laughs> except Tynetta. Um, <laughs> yeah, we paid him. No, but <laughs> uh, the word solution is the one that always seems to come to mind. And, that, and we, it seems to me like the, when it comes to homelessness and the word solution, no one seems to have the answer. Well, it's because there isn't a clear answer. There are so many layers about why somebody But it's this whole layer, and lately it has been a higher uh, number of people that just were living paycheck to paycheck and just on a sheer affordability level are homeless. And so if you look at the reasons, which are all different, it means that whatever you do for a program, you have to sort of peel those off and attack each one differently. Absolutely. Get there. And that's, uh, that's the hard part in the, the state. To Gavin Newsom's credit, has put more money into homelessness in the last year than it's been done maybe in all history. And the question is, when it comes to the locals and the budgets, the impact. Yeah, because you can give a lot to everybody that has a piece of this, but if you look at, for example, the homeless services center here, and now yeah. the tours with people mm -hmm. to shelters and families of this sort coming, and the homeless services center, I mean, they have a a locked place. Uh, they have a place for people coming out of the hospital uh, so that they're just not going out into the street and they're not into rehab coming out of the hospital. They have showers. They have mailboxes. They have an outpatient clinic where people can walk up to it and not come in. They have a family shelter for families that are displaced. They have uh, shelters for single people. Uh, and, and the prerequisites of participating in the program. No, sure, no drugs. Well, it, yes, but the major thing is, is that you have to commit to look for housing. Right. So when you drive by that place on Highway 1, it lists a number of people that have been placed. 900, I think, is yeah. what, yeah. Mm -hmm. you, uh, yeah. I pay attention, yeah. Yeah, and, and, and that's the prerequisite, is, is doing that. And so, yes, there are many, many programs that have different pieces of it, but when you have somebody that's just sort of organized for impact, that's where you hope that a lot of right. the and it's such a visual uh, crisis, too. I mean, people uh, always talk about it and always want to complain about it because they see it. It's not hidden in well, away. a way. As we taped this, there was a story on the TV news tonight where people were really upset because it was moving into their neighbors in, in Sacramento. And, you know, when I was up there for the eight years I was in the cabinet, 
my exercise was just a riding nice by the riverside. And one year they closed one side, and they had to take us in the future to Maine. And there were three to 400 people just camped there. And it was always in a place that nobody ever saw. And suddenly I was just flying by it mm-hmm. every night. And, you know, I never felt unsafe. I didn't think that's what the issue was. There was just a ton of people that were right on the edge of downtown. I worry about the rail trail. Because I, I know that shopping carts will go down at Fantastic, and um, and I live on the train tracks, and so it's like that's I I love the idea of having a garage door on my train track and roll it open and ride my bike out, but I'm also afraid to open it up and have a tent there, so I, I I'm 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 in a crisis over how I how I think well, about the future of that. I had this uh, intense experience last year where I was called to the jury, and I thought I was going to get a refuse, and it turned out to be a murder trial, and it took us. Three days as the 99th out of the 100 <laughs> And it was the trial of the two homeless people that ended up being convicted for killing a third homeless person on the levee in Francis. And so some of the key questions were what do you think about homelessness and what do you think about guns? And I, after I got upset at canceling a whole week's worth of things when I was in the middle of this, I realized that the random selection of 100 voters was asking what they thought about homelessness right. and drugs. Right. And on homelessness, there were people on each extreme, but I would say the bulk of people were where you were in an interesting way was that they were uncomfortable in the moment around homeless people, but they knew that we had to do something. Absolutely. Right. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I'm, I'm 100% behind responsible homelessness. Um, I feel like... F- 50 uh, mugshots on santacruzmugshots.com is a little uh, uh, you know too much for some people and I just I, I feel like we need to reinstate like the 15 strike and no, not we, three strikes was a little extreme but how about 15 strikes but because I feel like there's responsible homelessness and those people are great good people well you know uh, if you go back to the time I was We had a real problem, we thought at the time, (laughs) with people hanging out on the streets, on the main streets. And there was this horrible incident. All of a sudden the press runs to my job because some guy had run down the street kind of deranged with a machete. I remember that. Oh, I remember that too. And it took two good Samaritans tackling him. Well, I was the mayor, and everybody said, there's no winning way to this. Do we do something about it? I can't look the other way and try to do something. And so I formed this force on downtown issues that was everybody. It was the merchants, it was people in agencies, it was the sheriffs, it was the DA, it was like city management. Uh, uh, we had them all there. And the first meeting, uh, uh, you were there, was a blank show <laughs> where uh, <laughs> the sheriff attacked us for being liberals and all this stuff happened and everybody got their media thing out of the way. And then we got down to it. We figured out a way to clean the streets figured out a way that food stamps weren't delivered just in the downtown to draw everybody in. There were all these things. We got junk wine off the shelves uh, uh, in the downtown. We did all these things bit by bit. And the earthquake happened before we were Uh, done with it. But one of the issues that speaks to the point that you brought up, there was something like 15 people that had 425 citations for public inebriation. And the thing about it was is that they would be collected from around the county 
brought to the jail and then just dumped out of the jail onto the street. So it's like a collection of mm-hmm. things. Mm-hmm. And we actually went, he met with the judges, and we were sort of in the middle of something when the earthquake happened, where we were trying even then to see if they couldn't be sent to treatment, if, they, if something couldn't happen, and it wasn't just this revolving door where the problem wasn't addressed. Right. And, and those are the challenges. I really felt like it was my obligation at that time to wait in as much as possible. Mm-hmm. And I think that, that's the way a lot of people feel about the home decisions now is that it's just too hard. Right. And yet we've got to do it. We can't give up. Yeah. And that's I the bottom line. It's to overwhelm us. Right. Politically, even though not necessarily on the service level, but it seems to be dominating. Well, rehab, uh, mental health, um, you know, uh, education. Um, uh, I know I was in Oakland last week and I saw underneath an overpass there was like 20 little tool sheds that somebody must have bought. But there was 20 little wood tool sheds under an o- overpass. And I was like, wow, you know, like there maybe that's f- some well sort of. See, Gavin Newsom has done this thing where, uh, and that is one of the places. You saw one of the places where he's trying to leverage state land that's available and a freeway right of way done through overpasses, those are very frequent uh, mm-hmm. state ownership. Hmm. And so, uh, although not the best place for somebody to live, right. but it feeds it's a start. And it's safer. And I feel like if, if they're if they're uh, responsible and can keep it clean and organized, they can stay. You know, it's um, like there's a place on the side of, if you go on 41st Avenue North on Highway 1, there's a spot about a quarter mile up. If you look down at the trees, it looks like the landfill. And um, and it's also in above the creek, and it's so frustrating to see um, the way that some people take care of our environment. Yeah, and you know, I think one of the things is is that it, us figuring out how to house people. I mean, geez, we have a forced environment here. People have campfires all around them. That's not a good thing when you're in the middle of a drought. Mm-hmm. Yes. I, I, and so it's just for the safety of the government makes sense to set up a level of housing. Tough job, and it's a tough it's a tough subject. Neil, go ahead. Uh, the Anderson Dam, uh, that's, that's from your district, correct? Yes. And they're emptying the Anderson Dam. Oh, I think it's a bad idea. And right, I because, of, because of retrofit for earthquake? Now, here yeah. we are, here we are. Yeah. In a, in a dr- I actually know something about this. Oh, you do? Well, I'm coming off of eight years of, of supervising the Division of Dam Safety for California. Okay, and you're the guy. We made uh, Anderson Dam lower their level until they could complete their seismic retrofit. Because if anybody that's listening or watching knows Morgan Hill and where that is, geez, it's just like up It's huge. Right. It would be a 30-foot wave for, yeah. in Morgan Hill. Right. But the thing about a, and so the state made them keep it down at a certain level, but still, I don't know, it was 40%, 60% full. It was some partway full, and that was considered safe. And the one thing that happened is in the storm that uh, – I think the winter of 2017, the one where Highway 17 had a slide right, and, right. and Oroville was underneath. And, um, even though it was to be kept to the lower level, it just filled totally up and ran over, and that's why there was the flood of the neighborhood in San Jose. It was kind of this very dam mm. uh, doing that. And so I don't. I think they're overreacting, and it actually creates some safety issues to have it completely empty. And it makes sense to have it partially full, because uh, even if there's a severe earthquake, that's not going to empty that bottom part of it. Right. And so I am hoping that they can appeal this federal uh, decision. And, and the other thing is, 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 is 
if you did, which is more than you need to know. But when the Silicon Valley developed, you know, it was an orchard. Right. And in the late 50s and early 60s, it developed dramatically. Well, the water table sunk by about 200 feet, and they were suddenly not having enough water. Right. And so what they did is they decided to do a series of dams, Lexington, if anybody drives by, go and see what's on the Chancery, Anderson, and others, and then they percolation pond. So they did everything they could. They let it um, percolate. They restored the water table. But that system of maximizing what you can do only provides 45% of the water that's needed by the Silicon Valley. They have to import 55% And so if they don't, there, there was a time that the pipe broke from the San Luis Reservoir just to get their imported water, and for a period of time, they were on emergency rationing, and they were, were not sure that they could sustain uh, what they needed. And that was just a few years ago. And so, and it just couldn't come at a worse time if I've been a dry period and not been sure that we're going to come out of this. Yeah, scary. That's scary for the South Bay. And it seems to me also that a lot of that water, when it's going to be empty, normally drains into creeks that is a, a continuous habitat for fish and wildlife that needs that water to be lowered. Oh, actually, if you look at the, uh, the Puma project that UC Chancery does, they tag 50 mountain lions. And there's one, I always joke that the mountain lion is going to have a drink from uh, <laughs> San Jose because they just go right down the Guadalupe mm -hmm. watershed and into downtown Right, and I, we've had some come down the Soquel Creek here because that they travel through the waterways, and that's where all the coyotes travel. We can't, we can't drain. TC, we got to ask him the question, right? He's pretty seasoned. He's seasoned. Yeah. So, when did you begin in politics? What year was it? You mean running? Yeah. No, just when did you? Yeah, when did you start? But out of college? Oh, I was in college. I was actually when I was twenty-two. So let's a delegate for George Trevor for the Democratic. We like wow, wow. <laughs> we like to ask our seasoned guests, and you got some gray. You, you do have a little gray on you. We like, we like to ask our seasoned guests, what was your favorite decade and why? Oh, what a tough question. Because I've, with a few exceptions, watched most of the decades I've been in Boston. Um. I would have to say, I came of age in the 60s, and it was the most entertaining. <laughs> it, it was amazing to be in the San Francisco Bay Area in the 60s, coming of age. Yeah. Coming to Chancery in 68. Those were exciting times. Yeah. 68. <coughs> we get a few 60s. Yeah. yeah. We've had a few. We've, we've had a lot of season guests on here. And uh, the well, 80s are always good. We hear a lot about that. Yeah, that was the year. Those were the years I was on the city council, but they were the Reagan years, so it was this little balance of, uh, hmm. of trying to get things done. And when you came in here today, there was a young man. What was the young man's name that works here? Josh. Josh. You got a young Josh is what, 21? He's, uh, yeah, 22, I think. 22. Yeah. And, and he said, you know, he voted for you today. How's that, you know, for a young kid like that? And for the record, I thanked him. You did. <laughs> yeah. yeah. How does that make you feel? Like, you Great. Know, yeah. Great. Youngster, you know. reaching people. You're reaching yeah. people. Yeah. You know, I, I think that when I ran for the city council, I walked 35 precincts each time. And so you were actually talking to people. Right. You felt like you were really, in, in a district that's this large, you have to use TV and mail. Yes, I've been to hundreds of events. I mean, people can see me and 
and I can reach them in a haunted location. But uh, it's not as retail as it is in mm-hmm. New York City. Right. How hmm. was the uh, How was your interview with the skate shop? Great. Yeah. Not that bad. We had, to, we had to square away one guy, get his tie off. You know, he's coming on here. So what are we talking about with this with the next batch coming on the show? Well, I, you're gonna talk to them about Cabrillo College and they'll probably talk to you about their ballot measure, but what I would tell you okay. is that historically community colleges educate eighty percent of the higher education students in the state and they're the real uh, they're the ones that are the workhorses. They're the ones that that turn it out, and they, when I was on the Cabrillo board, we went into Santa Cruz and offered a human services certificate in the place where people can do human services, right, and, right. and you figured out a way that you're really grounded in the community, and <coughs> they need buildings, and they need support, and that's what we'll talk to you about, but it really makes a difference, and it's an issue for me going to Sacramento, because while I was gone from Sacramento in the legislature, the, the legislature in the economic downturn sort of weakened the... Uh, the community part because it was always this coalition of two goals of lifelong learning which was people in the community could go all the time and and refresh themselves and do and then it was people that were transferred to higher education and they sort of emphasized higher education and de-emphasized a little some of the community stuff and I don't think that's right I think they never should have done that it's both of them and Cabrillo is beloved by the community. Yeah. I was chair of the board when we went to the voters for the bond in 1998. We did this poll that said something like 65% of the people or a member of their family had been to Cabrillo, and the pollster said to us, oh, there's something wrong with that. <laughs> we had some computation error or whatever. My whole household went to Cabrillo. I went seven years. No. I'm proud of that, by the way. <laughs> yes, I went. I had my own parking spot. It was great. <laughs> you did? Yep. <laughs> Well, that's good. <laughs> I didn't even have my own party when I was on the board. The, um, the, the, I took 20 units of intensive Spanish 40 years ago right now. It was like the first module of Spanish 1, the second module of Spanish 2, the third of Spanish 3, fourth of Spanish 4. You had a lab. You had, had groups. And, and, yes, I had lived in Spain when I was younger and had different stuff. And this was really fine-tuning it in a good way. Most of the time I was in the assembly, I gave the speeches, weekly Spanish radio broadcasts. Hmm. For the county, I was a Spanish pastor for people that wanted to buy windows or some rent there. Uh, it has helped me immensely as an elected official because I can just wade into a, a, a crowd and feel like I can understand them as well as them. Right. To the it's huge. That's yeah, huge. Cabrillo was a yeah. part of You want to represent everybody, exactly. you know, and yeah, that, that enables you to. And, so. and understand everybody. Exactly. Yeah. All right. So, when, well, I guess, congrats on being the next senator. Hey, uh, I'll be happy to make the top two when I leave. <laughs> and I'll come back again and but talk to you about I also want to thank you for your service, too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You're welcome. Yeah. I'm thank proud you of you. Thank you very much. Yeah. I'm, 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 a, I'm a long time Santa Cruz uh, resident, and I'm proud of what you've done to this town. I've been here since 1981. I was 82. Even and I was elected to the council first time in November of '81. Yeah. <laughs> nice. So we're all seasoned. Yeah. We're seasoned Santa Cruz now. Mm-hmm. We all lived through the earthquake. Yes, we, we did, did live through the earthquake. Yes. I never forget that day as long as I ever live. Where were you when that happened, by the way? It's funny. Uh, we were, as a council committee, we went out and looked at the place that we were going to place the surf statue. Mm. And, it, and it was a funny thing. About an hour before the earthquake, Joe Gio, 
uh, if Marty Wernhout and I and Joe Gill, we were the committee to, uh, you know, consider the placement. And Joe leaned over that area, and I said to him, be careful, Joe. If you fall over and there's an – if there was an earthquake and you fall over, nobody would believe you didn't push you. <laughs> <laughs> and there was an earthquake. Wow. <laughs> That's I, crazy. I had just gotten home. You, know, you had? Because I was going to watch <coughs> the World Series. I was mm-hmm. never home at that time of day. And, and I ran in the backyard, and the dishes were pitching out, and it was huge and hot. I mean, it was like my feet. And um, on the corner – I live on King Street on the west side in Santa Cruz, and on the corner there was a – tree and it was waving all the way one side and all the way other and I wish wow. I looked around at things but I couldn't take my eyes off of right. it while it was going on. And amazing we're finally finishing the last empty lot on Pacific Avenue. Yeah. It is amazing. Isn't that? Yeah, think well, about no, that. It's interesting because in the uh, rebuilding process we were told by Coalinga if you don't take down buildings that are really stressed early they will just stay there for years because they'll become controversial. And the city staff took that to heart and some of them were very controversial. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway, thank you. Thank Mr. you. Laird, thank yes. you very much. Yep. Can you stick around for a little bit? A little bit. Can you stick around until we hear these guys? Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to give them like 10, f- 10 minutes and whatever, and then oh, I'm sorry, 15 minutes. No, 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 no. <laughs> they all want to go home. <laughs> thank right. you, sir. Thank you, sir. Well, thank, thank you very, very much. Thank, thank you yep. very, very much. I voted for you, too. All right, Brooke, before we get our next, next guest comes on, come on, sit down. Uh, this show is brought to you by, where did the captain, where'd the captain go? He, he snuck out. He snuck out the back door. That's Captain John Ribeiro mm-hmm. from Colwell yes, Banker. May. He's also the captain of the Chardonnay. He is, uh, he's second best realtor in town that I know of. Someone over here is the best. Yep, he'll sell and your house and uh, take care of some business. He'll sell your house, yeah. 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 We have uh, another chair. We have another chair. We do. Can, you, can we pull that chair, that really nice green chair? This show is also brought to you by Pono. Where's that bike would leave? There we go. Show is brought to you, brought to you by Pono Hawaiian Tap. I want to thank uh, Timmy from Pono for the little, for the little s- food that he provides with us every week. Uh, also, Sea uh, Bright Deli. I was there today, TC. Let me tell you something, gentlemen. Let me tell you something, gentlemen. If you want the best sandwich in. T- oh, I can't say that because Fig will kill me. Really good sandwiches on Seabright. Uh, go to Seabright Deli right next to uh, Brady's right there on Seabright Avenue. Also brought to you by Surf City Sandwich. I want to thank Fig for sponsoring the show. Uh, that's right. I want to thank you. Take care of my buddy Jay the other day. His daughter, his daughter was so stoked to get a skateboard. Also brought to you by uh, H&H Fish. Oh, my. Do you guys know about H&H Fish? You're going to learn something being on the show. You know what Johnny? You know what Johnny's Harbor Side is? There's a fish market right below. Fresh fish, sell to the pub. What? So good. Who am I missing? Who am I missing? I'm People's Coffee. I want to thank People's Coffee on 17th row. I want to thank Curtis. I want to thank Curtis. I uh, oh, and don't forget John Pickard from Chill Out Cafe, where they they roll the fatties over there at Chill Out Cafe. Also, he also owns uh, Beach Nest Vacation Metals. So. Looking for your uh, a nice vacation home while you're in Santa Cruz, Beach Nest Vacation Mountains is a place to go. I'm sure I'm missing a few, but they'll come to me in a second. Uh, Starbane. Numa from Malahore Island Grill. I'm having lunch with Numa tomorrow. We'll see what's up with his band, Feather Snake. Is that the worst band name in the world? Feather Snake. All right. So we got here today. We got the yes on our guys. Say that again. Bludgeon 
<laughs> the bludgeon carcasses? No, it doesn't. Su- that doesn't. Su- the feather snake sounds like a porno movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Was it a punk band? Don't wasn't country and western for crying out. <laughs> Can you give us a quick song? Let's talk about Mezrahoff. Yep. What is Mezrahoff? Yep. Who we, who who are we? Who we, who's sitting with us tonight? My name's Abby Sutton. I'm on the governing board for Cabrillo College. Okay. <laughs> did did you have your own parking spot? I never have and probably never will. <laughs> well, you know, parking was enforcement during the eighties was like really kind of last in the woods for us. And I bought a house here and I just got my own And because my mom was well here's the problem with Cabrillo. It overlooks the ocean. If you're a surfer, yeah. I would be staring out the window during the <laughs> w, another W. Yeah. So that was my life, you know? That's why you were there for seven years. It's a beautiful campus. I tell you, one guest, one of our guests that's been on, he comes on every year, uh, and uh, we just did a show, I just did a sh- another show with him, uh, was Renee Schlepfer from Twin Lake Church, mm-hmm. who's, Renee is so stoked about the new coffee shop going in, and the kids from Cap Cabrillo going to come over and, you know, use it, and, and to be a part, you know, it's going to be, it's, that's he's just kind a of, a, he's a great yeah, neighbor. Yeah, my kid too. Anyway. I didn't mean to, didn't mean to interrupt. No worries at all. Yeah, well let's get back into Mezrahoff. Yeah. yeah, let us know and we'll see how that goes. I would love to introduce you to the larger community in Pittsburgh. Um, I'm now standing president of the board. I just finished my speech. So the president um, is a really big cheese guy. Uh, <coughs> He's a hell jefe. If you drive by, it looks, I mean, it's got, uh, the, shop, the shop window looks fantastic. Yeah. Thank you. 
What is measure R as far as to the, the t as far as to the public? I mean, is it is it a tax increase or or? So the way that um, it will impact voters. Yes. Uh, there's going to be a $19 charge for every hundred thousand that's checked by the ballot. Okay. And I think the thing that sometimes unfortunately gets lost in translation is with Atlanta, people immediately go, oh, well, if I purchase my my home um, <coughs> 15 years ago and I have a value of it's so much higher. Assessed value looks at what you paid for your property in that particular home 15 years or ago. Or even longer. And it Is that where your tax dollars are probably? Yes. Because you're still going to yes. get property tax there. And so for every 100000 and then it adds just 2% per year. So I was thinking about this. My husband and I did the math on this um, years ago yep. on what Measure R is. Yep. We bought our condo two years ago and paid $460. So we're roughly going to be paying $80 or 15 cents a year. It goes up 2% every year, though. 2% every year. And so I was thinking, well, what what about that person whose house right now is worth about 700000 but maybe they bought it 10 years ago and it was a dud for them? Well, what does that 2% look, look like? Is it higher? Is that probably going to impact inflation more added on over 10 years? Are you, can you do the math that, that that makes it possible? Yes, the big houses are going to go down the cost of home ownership every year. Right. And your taxes. That's not a lot. I mean, it really breaks down to about a couple of weeks of what you're contributing to this community college and, you know, to quote John, to what we give back to the community right. for yeah. folks to come to Cabrillo, um, whether it's for social impact, to learn a new skill, for all of the reasons that our community relies on Cabrillo College. And as Matt was saying, for all of the allied health and other programs where I know as a community member, I want to go to the hospital and know all the folks that are working in all of those allied health fields at the hospital were trained at Cabrillo College and their local folks. Wh when did when did you first start discussing Measure R? Gosh, we, I think and was it before you came, was it before you arrived? Did you know that you were diving into you having to dive into this, right? Uh, did you think, oh my God, I got go, I got this challenge. <laughs> I got to go get I got to go get two percent from every person in Santa Cruz. gets used and it's a really good question. Well, it's funny because in, in Atlanta, the new president, a lot of the planning has been done by the college to pull out that tax. Right. So thinking about needs and ranking those priorities, um, which residents would really be able to build and what projects get after it. But I knew coming in as a new president that the college had not gotten the tax This is it's fairly large. Right, um, right. So for me, coming in as a new president, I knew at some point we're going to have to go out and address these needs. These renovations are, are not going away. Right. And it's getting costlier and costlier every year we go out and think about the inflation costs and 
Can I just leave you set this aside for a second? TC, this this has got more chance. I mean, because this is Cabrillo's local, yeah. right? And you, we've all been kid might keep into Cabrillo for ten, and I, we've all been involved, right? We know people that work at Cabrillo. If this is UC, this was UCSC, yeah, no chance, because. Right. Um, that, that I think, and again, 65% of the residents, I think, is what Mark said, have a connection to Cabrillo. That's a community that, thing. That and I don't want to see, Cabrillo's an asset community. We right. do hear, uh, I'm, I'm just going to harp on UCSC for a little bit right now, but you hear the you hear the problems always. It's always easy. But I, have, I don't just call it time and say it's a bad corner out there. Um, I think that's understated <laughs> because the community likes it. Right. It's it has a local. It's got that local factor in it. Something interesting too. I we were concerned at first that folks were going to misinterpret if we invest more money through Measure R to um, especially in, in regards to the summer center, so that we can provide more space for students. Well, in two, the number of students on campus is going to increase, and what kind of impact Kay. is it going to have? Because they're different than what we're expecting, mm -hmm. and the reality is actually quite the opposite. We have those students on campus now. They're floating around in classes that aren't core classes because they're on the wait list to get in. Our building out is actually gonna help them get through the process more efficiently and faster. It's not gonna bring more students on to campus. They're already there. They're floundering, waiting right. to get into class. Well, the average age on a Cabrillo student? I think it's around 24. 24, yeah, so it's a little higher than maybe what you see, what you have to see outside of the Bradford. Mm -hmm. But and the, the reason is, Partly, as you mentioned, the building is for so many years, Cabrillo was a community college for the training of that as part of the administration. Classes and art and language and business and science and English and all that. And so we have, as a, a part of our population, 11 continuous students over the age of 50, um, which makes sense if you think about the retirement community we live in. Um, but at the same time, we have to serve their mission while also still with emphasizing the mission of Forestry Director Kevin Bauer for the, you know, getting us kind of through the virtual UC or CSU. Right. So for us, we have those dual missions. We need to do both well. Uh, and increasingly, the chance I get to discuss in a minute is by emphasizing the transfer mission, increasingly telling older buildings, we don't care what you you know you, you really don't want the classes to average. So at Cabrillo, we do incredible things for yeah, yeah, we've got classes for at, at a given for the people who uh, are both for them too. Mm -hmm. Whether it's yeah. your boat, and um, and maybe they don't have um, that knowledge based on you know the the wider uh, landscape. But what's the uh, what's the vibe around town? You mean for measure R yep. and how it's doing? Yep. I think for the most part, you you hear a lot of support. It seems I I've been walking through Sunset Hills map mm -hmm. for almost a month now. And when I talk to folks, when you mention Cabrillo, they're pretty slight. Right. And then sometimes there's like, oh, yeah, that's right, but we, we, we have to handle all of it. Like, it's, it's a pass, right? Like, the minute that you walk up there, it's a pass. And then you hear the thing that I think you're trying to make, which is the ripple effect. Yes. Like, when you yeah. have to pass, um, that ripple, that's what people think. Oh, hey, I can't get this going. Well, that's something I absolutely, it, we're putting community, especially in Hillcrest Community College, above everything. Um, but 
there is a small contingent of folks who are very proud of it. We know you have other similar problems. I think um, it's a message that some people hear when they stop themselves from thinking through their you know, their world with career and their degree and pursuing story. Um, so that's what we're facing. I think it's in a small minority. Um, I'm truly very hopeful yeah. that more more folks will hear the message of Noble R, knowing the good that Gore does, right. really speak to climate well, change when you say that. I think it's going to pass. DC, I think it's going to I think it's going to pass. I'm but with you. But yeah. is it, I'm not going to ask you for it because I don't think you're going to need it, but is, a, is there a backup? Okay, so this didn't work, so we're going to go in this direction. Right. Well, it, it's interesting. I, I've been asked this question, and I think first and foremost, people who are asking that question, one of the reasons is because of Prop 13, not the old one from 1978, but right. the old Prop 13, right. thinking that it's not a big deal if Measure R doesn't pass because the Brio community could have gotten out in the state if Prop 13 passed. Right. Well, that's not an easy thing for tomatoes. It's just there's really um, – we have a tomato growers that are not necessarily specific to a single one thing, but there's still about $3.5 million in Measure R pockets that if folks are in Prop 13 pockets, will have matching tomato growers. Okay. So we'll apply competitively against the other 113 tomato colleges to potentially We actually have one gap right now in the state budget for this year. There's a match for one of our pockets in Delaware. So we don't have the local pockets to compete with the state. So even in an appropriation year in the state budget, it's three and a half million dollars. We don't even have to raise the money for for Prop 13. Good, thank you for correcting me. So if Measure R passes, we have a shovel ready fund with a state match already applied to it that is actually a six and a half million dollar project because of that state matching. Now if Prop 13 passed, like Adam was saying, we're going to go out and try to compete against other colleges for that big pot of money, that, that, that $2 billion uh, pot for community college tomatoes. But it's not a guarantee that we would get access to that money. So for any of these projects to be done, which is going for student services for programs, renovating our library and teacher spaces, and, then, and also our training center for, for local police and fire departments, all of that's dependent upon what the public is saying, yeah, we're behind you, and we're going to be circling that wagon. Yeah. So that's why we're, I'm excited about the project, because to me, you're not only addressing some of the renovation needs that we have, it's also addressing workforce needs, there's good jobs for people in our community to get trained here, to do local jobs, rather than going over the hill and being enticed by these uh, salary structures at Santa Clara or Shenandoah, so I think it's really important that we get access to Measure R because of that component of the project. Right. Well, with that help from Measure R, it's going to pass the first time it passes. We're going to have to do this again mm -hmm. because we won the last year, so we might have to. Is, it, is, this, is it Does, it does Measure R help? Will that help in that in some instance as well? Yeah, in a sense, it will because one of the reasons that there's such a long waiting list to get into nursing and into the med tech program or into dental hygiene is that there's a waiting list to get into the prereqs in the science building. So if you if you build the science building and allow for greater access to that um, early dental education into the clinical spaces, and then the other science prereqs are commercial, you're actually gonna shorten the time that students take to get from entry at Cabrillo to then the admission into the nursing program when the completion of nursing. 
So it's vitally important to think of that as both an access and a modernization kind of project. Sure, I mean, there's a, I mean, there's a shortage of nurses all over America. Well, she's teaching nurses. She, uh, she's a, she teaches nurses. Yeah. Greater Midtown needs is a robust right. health care in this county, if you think about the aging demographic and the kind of um, quality that we've been able to think of and to develop over the years, all of those programs in our allied health and allied cancer and molecular assisted nursing, they also start in hospitals and they end at ICU wards. Students do incredibly well and they're walking out of the program and they're inscribed on all these things. You know, studying 65,000 is a lot of money. Um, you can make 80,000 be on these in this county if you're, if you're working and, and willing to work for share. Right, well, right. One of the projects that we're working on is is a library for women. We're going to need three or four hundred libraries in the county now. Mm -hmm. So that's part of it. I, and so I see you had a lot of endorsements. Yeah. Huge amount. Yes. Are, yeah. there, are there people that are vocally saying don't do Megaro? I don't know this, but is there a, a, yeah, I don't think a, a point? I'll let Adam say that. <laughs> we we did we were um, disappointed that uh, a small handful of folks got together and um, filed an opposition in the ballot. Um, so there's ballot information that uh, is very inaccurate and is biased. And um, one of the proponents, uh, Aaron Jacquelin, filed. So you'll see some bright yellow signs on the sign, mm -hmm. um, which in good faith has to be. Mm -hmm. And. Um, between that and a couple of letters to the editor and the company, that's what we're hearing. So and is this your, is your grant cutting into existing dollars? It is, yeah. Their position is we should not have to um, bear the burden of any of these costs. I think that's what Emily Hancock meant when uh, she was indicating that we're not in a position to cut some kind of effort in cutting uh, education. S some somewhere. that I know is, is designed to have hope. When you're part of a community, what responsibility do you take on to make sure that our community is prospering? I was having this conversation with somebody at the library five years ago, which is kind of interesting. It, he was wanting to talk about how he didn't feel like the, going down the bond road was just a nice way to go and to have some questions about it. And I, I just said, you know, look, if we had structured our tax system differently in the 1970s when our tax levels were and schools at the K through 14 level were getting funded differently, perhaps you, you wouldn't see schools needing to come to voters so frequently. Right, right. But then you look at it locally. Across the state, the average for community colleges to talk to voters about supporting a college is every six years. We have not passed a bond in 14 years. Right. We are doing our best to be responsible and not overburden taxpayers in a climate where because of the 1978 tax system, we're not getting the money we need. Right, right. But here we are, and it's going to benefit the whole community and not cost us. I've got something you can you can gauge something by. He's sitting. Right. I'm going to have something here. You're going to he's going to gauge your your measure on with. Okay. Right. My friend over here has been a homeowner since 19. Had his house here over the over here since 19. Forever. forever right. And he forever. he <laughs> 19 forever. And he he uh, he hires employees. How many people? 25 employees. You're, you're all young. And, and most of them Go to Cabrillo, right? Yeah. Now, would you pay? Would you support Mejora? Would you mind mind paying that little extra? Well, I also uh, recognize and appreciate um, Cabrillo College and what it 
someone who's going to be in that industry, wouldn't you want to be in that industry? So yeah, I felt like the level of instruction was important. And so I accordingly did the job, which hopefully everybody will. Um, I, I, I have a great solution at the income tax of churches and put that money in education. <laughs> Come on, <laughs> deal. Yeah. Yeah, I read an article today, $78 billion if we tax the rich, but that's yeah, a that's whole other All right, so we're going to go, we're, CC. TC, we uh, we're gonna we're gonna go we're gonna go yes on Measure R. Yes on Measure, yes on measure R. Yes on measure R. Yes. Okay, want to thank you guys for coming on the show. Yes. Thank Adam, you very thank much. you very very much. And Angela, thank Next you for time. teaching. Next <laughs> time you know, no tie. No, no, thank you very very much. No, the only per yeah. the only person the only the, the only person's wore a tie is Dr. Doug Hetzler. You know Dr. Doug Hetzler? The surf is here. He's the only guy who wore a tie. Even Panetta didn't wear a tie. But person, no, no, no one. Fred Keeley didn't even wear a tie. Oh the sharpest guy, sharpest dressed man in Santa Cruz. No, nice shoes, no. oh man, he wore nice shoes, dude. <laughs> and anyway, I want to thank, want to thank John Led for coming on the show. And before we, I, I can't forget Harbor Cafe from Seventh Avenue, best breakfast in town. Uh, the kayak connection at the Santa Cruz Harbor. El Con today, let me tell you. TC, seventy-five degrees. I'm surfing Middle Peak at the lane today. Oh my. God. Yeah. It is amazing. $25 rental for, yeah, $25 rental. Oh, the listing stack. Listing stack from Justin, Justin Stack from the listing stack. Uh, huh? My years are good, man. Uh, next week's show, we got the boy. Who's coming on next week? Next week is uh, Joel Gomez. Oh, we're going to mention Joel Gomez. Ladies and gentlemen, coming to town. Debbie Harry. <laughs> Debbie Harry. Yeah, Debbie Harry's coming to the, to the uh, Kaiser Permanent Center. That's going to be a good show. And uh, uh, Munster's coming back, too. Munster's coming back from Three Bros are coming back. So I uh, want to thank, once again, thank Mr. John Laird for coming back on the show. Uh, Measure R, we vote yes on Measure R. Yep, we're down for R. Thanks for listening to the Outfit Radio Show. See you next week. Good night to you all.